welcome to Casa de Cambio. On this episode of Casa de Cambio, I am thrilled and delighted to be joined by Bridget Leishman. Welcome, Bridget. Thanks for having me, Tash. How's your week going? Oh, it's pretty good. It's always good to be a Friday, but it's good. It's warm up in Brisbane. It's very humid at the moment. Oh, I can imagine. It's really humid down here in Melbourne as well. It's uh, been just very rainy and cloudy and like not as warm as uh, the northern eastern states, but it's definitely like it's 21 today, but it was 29 and humid yesterday. So I think we're feeling it as well. Yeah, it's fun. Good for the hair. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, so <laughs> today I'm so excited to have you as a guest today because we're going to be talking about selling your sizzle. But before we get into that topic, there's a couple of questions I ask every guest who comes onto the podcast. And the first one is what are you currently watching, reading or listening to? Ah, well, um, I am rereading actually a fantastic book by Jay Sullivan. It's called Simply Said. It's about communication and it really is a great resource. And I listened to it on Audible in 2021 and then I bought it this year to reread and highlight because it really is a great tool. Excellent. Excellent. Anything else you wanted to share? Well, I, I mean, I'm watching Shit's Creek as well. I love that. It's so funny. <laughs> so absolutely good. Love that. Um, absolutely love it. The other question is, what was the best career advice you ever received? Actually, the best career advice I ever received was from a boss who was just horrifically awful. And it was in the early 90s and I was in corporate banking and I'd been given my first proposal to do. And I got overexcited and I spent way too long on it and I delivered a 50-page memorandum and he actually threw it back at my desk and said, for God's sake, woman, don't you know about the law of effort and reward? So... It, uh, it was a huge lesson for me in thinking about things and scaling and thinking about what, how much time is actually worth spending on this. And that, that applies to a lot of things, really. Um, yeah. There's another one as well, uh, which at the time I thought was very original and I found later that's a common saying. Um, as someone who's a bit of a chronic overthinker and I'm, I'm reformed, someone said to me, you know, um, you should worry less about what people are thinking of you because they're normally not thinking about you at all. Um, and it's a great piece of advice for people who make up stories about what other people are saying about them. And I really love it. Yes. Yes. I, that really resonates with me because, well, firstly, because it's true, but secondly, because my inner saboteur likes to make up scenarios might happen that haven't happened that and they never happen I think oh well you know the next this meeting this person's going to say this and they're going to be really rude or and then we have the meeting and it's completely fine you know they're my best friend so I'm thinking you're you know so I think yeah that's a good one when you've got your inner saboteur kind of talking to you and and making up fantastical yeah. scenarios then and you're getting annoyed about them but they haven't even happened and they're likely to never happen yeah Absolutely. And, and it's, you know, when people don't get back to you, you know, we make up stories about why they haven't and they must be annoyed with me or I must have done something, particularly when it's a boss relationship. And typically it's just they've either forgotten or they're busy, but we make mm -hmm. up. I mean, I just wish we were as good at telling stories for good as we are for evil in our heads at times. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, no, great advice. Thank you for sharing it. <laughs> I think we're, I also think we we never forget the times that we've had like a piece of paper or a document thrown at us. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, within the digital age, maybe those times uh, will be in the past. <laughs> well, yeah, 
you know, I mean, he also had a cigarette hanging out of his mouth at the time the ash was flying everywhere. So, you know, not good times, but certainly a lot of learning. Because, <laughs> yeah, I've had a couple of those times which, you know, they were learning experiences, but I'm like, oh, hopefully that, that sort of stuff doesn't happen to people with digital reviews and remote working. <laughs> you can't actually throw something at someone if you don't print anything anymore and you're not actually working in the same office. <laughs> Although I have seen an iPad fly across the room when someone lost their uh, lost their shit at one point. So. <gasps> an iPad! Oh my mm. goodness, that's really heavy. And my immediate thought was, "Is that company property?" But you know, I don't know. <laughs> it was very bizarre. It happened. Yeah, yeah. I guess it. Yeah, stranger things. Hey. Um. So moving on to the topic, I wanted to talk about selling your sizzle because I've been following your LinkedIn musings for some time now and I think I've told you they're one of the highlights of my morning because your post is always at the top of my feed when I jump on the tram and look at LinkedIn in the morning um, and you did one recently about sell your sizzle don't wait for people to notice you and I just would really love to talk about that with you because I think that's something that I personally have struggled with a lot of women struggle with it um, and some men too but I, I think and we were chatting a little bit before we hit record about how sometimes women are socially conditioned in a particular way that makes it difficult for you to sell your sizzle. Um, So starting right at the beginning, it is something that a lot of us struggle with. So what are some things that people can do to provide better visibility of their achievements to their managers and peers? Yeah, and and it is a good question because we have been conditioned, but also if we adopt overly male characteristics, you know, know, we, uh, our likability plummets and that's Mm. been well. So, uh, there's a couple of things I would say. And the first is I'm not a huge fan of the fake it till you make it. And, and I'll tell you why. Mm. It just feeds into the imposter syndrome. Now, there's no question sometimes you've got to put a game face on when you're not feeling it. And that's different than faking it. So for women, I think the most important thing is that like any skill, it takes practice. So planning and preparation is everything. And you know, Tash, that I'm a huge fan of the elevator pitch. And the elevator mm. pitch is the... 60 seconds, no more, tell me about yourself. And that includes your achievements, what you've done, what you're good at. Um, And it is a really good tool to have, whether you're pitching, whether you're in an interview, whether you bump into someone literally in an elevator and they say, what have you been up to? Tell me about yourself. So I think that's the first thing is don't, you know, um, whilst you get better as you practice, it's definitely not about faking, it's about getting organized and thinking about your skills. And when you write them down, there's a really cool bit of confidence that comes with saying, I actually am really good at that, you know. Um, so that, so that would be the first thing I would say. Um, and we, we can talk a little bit more about the elevator pitch later because I do think it's, it's a great tool to have. Um, the second one is if you, um, if you really just don't like, big, you know, people say, well, I don't like to big up myself and I don't like to talk about myself, I'd say just first of all, Take a bit of pressure off yourself. When you're in, you know, an environment or a conversation with someone who's an influencer, um, you know, one of the best things you can do is take pressure off yourself and ask questions instead of thinking I've got, you know, 30 minutes to tell them all the things I'm really, really good at and really quickly and just get it off my chest. And every time they say something, I need to respond with something that shows that I'm really smart. And, And so I just say, look, take the pressure off yourself. And the best way to influence and show um, that you're good at something is to ask really good quality questions. 
and make it about them rather than you in the conversation. And, that, mm. and you get the opportunity and they will walk away from that meeting saying, that was really good. I really like that, Tash. She's really smart. And you haven't had to sort of try and squeeze your bio and your resume into a short conversation. So that would be another one. I mean, you know, so that's, uh, and then the other one, if you're really scared, is you third-party referencing, and I'm also a fan of that, where you will, you might say something, and you think, gosh, that sounds like I'm showing off, and you just say, people will tell you that about me. You know, I'm really good at blending strategy and operations and just bringing it all together, and people will tell you that about me. Well, you just say, their word's not mine. That's a really nice way to take some pressure off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, great. So I think, you kind of talked about those examples in somewhat of an interview situation, but what about when you're doing the work and you know you're doing great work? Mm-hmm. How do you get people to notice your work and, you know, see what you're doing? Because and, and I find that is a particular challenge with change managers as well because a lot of the work that we do, it's not rock star work, it's roadie work. It's happening in the background. It's making things run really smoothly, but it's actually a lot of the time it's not very visible. And a a lot of (laughs) any change manager will have had a lot of experiences where people say, what are you doing with your time? I don't understand what you're doing. So how can you show, you know, in a kind of active work, you know, maybe stakeholder situation without actually telling and, and, you know, saying, here's what I've done. I mean, you can report it, but are there other things you could do or would it be something like, getting other people to tell and leveraging your network that way? I think that's definitely an option, um, particularly if you're struggling. So I, I also like having either a spotter or someone who's in a meeting saying, look, I, I really want to convey some of the work we've been doing. And I know you're a fan, you know, John or whoever it is. Um, I'm wondering if you could actually, you know, take an opportunity to jump in and just reiterate the work we're doing. So that's one thing. And again, I, I only I recommend that when you're just feeling like I'm, I'm you know, I'm just too nervous and I don't want to speak up. Uh, but you know, without being a broken record, I would come back to the pitch again. So, so writing the pitch in a different way, not for an interview, but just say, you know, um, one of the key things has really been about the change management, and I'll tell you why. And then you can actually draw out the pitch of what are the key things that have been important along the journey and what have you learned you can do it in quite a self-effacing way but at the same time you've been really clear that it's not the soft stuff you know when it comes to change a lot of people say well you do that you do the change stuff and they sort of flap their hands around as if it's you know a little bit of unicorns and hugging and things like that but it's actually a really tough discipline so I mean I think you can definitely have a pitch for that and the other thing is just, um, I mean, I think in the opportunity to showcase if you're in a team is, you know, create an opportunity, whether it's doing a showcase, um, whether it's um, thinking who are the key stakeholders and influencers, how do we get in front of them without, you know, as you say, necessarily doing. I mean, what have you found, Tash? How have you approached this? I'm a big fan of the showcase. Um, showcasing is something I recommend to a lot of my coaching clients. Uh, because they seem to have shared challenges of, you know, we've got a lot of stakeholders, they're all time poor, there's a lot of other initiatives. I'm like, have a showcase, invite everyone and, you know, get ready to sell what you've done. So, yeah, in in my current, all my current clients and last year I implemented the concept of showcasing. Um, and it's not just for, you know, software development. You can showcase your change management. You can showcase your implementation. 
because showcasing is also talking about, you know, what not only what have we built and what are we doing and what have we done, but what do we learn along the way? So people find it, it's a much more interesting conversation than just a, you know, a boring old PowerPoint slide presentation where you talk at people and have some questions at the end. I like a more honest. So yeah, showcasing definitely. Um, I think utilising your advocates within your organisation is good. Um, and I think as well, like really making use of the time that you have at stand-ups, you know, steercos, other ceremonies to really like don't just get like actually make sure you properly cover off everything you're doing and don't just go, yeah, 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 everything's good. You know, it's all in train. Like you do have to, I think, repeat that messaging because yeah. not not because you're living and breathing your own work, but other people are like, okay, well, what are you doing? I don't know. I see you once a week. Um, so I would say that. But one other thing you said before I wanted to touch on is you said, I don't want to big note myself. And I do think in Australia we've got a culture of tall poppy syndrome oh, where yeah. we, we don't like people who big note themselves. But then we've also got as women, uh, people don't like women <laughs> who are full of themselves either. So do you have any, because you also said earlier um, you can't just act like a man because then you won't be likeable. So what advice do you have specifically for female listeners out there um, who are struggling with selling themselves and don't want to appear arrogant or up themselves and you know they're saying oh like there's all these I'm seeing all my male colleagues just do it so effortlessly like how, what what can we do as women it, it is a great question because it is about finding balance I mean there are women who actually just don't care about likability and um and they will just do do what it is that feels authentic for them and if that means whatever they've got to do um in terms of not big noting, but commanding the room, um, shutting people down. Uh, I, I think they're in the minority, though. Mm. Most of it's, it's actually about using our personality. Sometimes using a bit of humour is good, but you've got to be careful with that. Um, it's taking up space. Say you're in a physical reason. Uh, sorry, in a physical meeting, uh, or even a Zoom. It's about preparing yourself before you go in. So I, I, I love the, the superwoman pose. So that's about before you go into the meeting, you know, take those big breaths, put your shoulders back against the wall. You're nodding, you know this, yep, this is, uh, um, and, and taking up space, right? You've earned a seat at the table. And, and I've seen so many women go to the, you know, if you're in a boardroom, you go to the far left corner as if they're waiting to go and help get the morning tea or the water or whatever. Instead of saying, you know, I'm the key person in this meeting and sitting in the the heat of the in the center of the meeting, so I think there's some physical body language things around your posturing and how you sit, um, and then it's you know if somebody is and this often happens, you know, we see uh, other people taking credit or men sort of jumping in and saying I I I when you're thinking actually my team did that. Uh, there's some good little techniques around where you can say things like, well, yeah, thanks. Oh, thanks for highlighting that. Or thanks for reminding us about that, Adam. My team were really proud of that work. And so you just, you know, this way, you do it with a smile. Um, when you're interrupted, it's, you know, the technique that I use is I actually put my hand up. Um, so I don't do the, ah, can you let me finish? I'm not finished or, you know, anything like that. I just put my hand up and keep talking. 
So um, I, I think there's techniques that you can use that stop that confidence thing that sort of, you know, you're going, I'm trying to say something, I want to talk about my team, but I'm getting interrupted. Um, and then again, I, I honestly think that if you plan before every single key meeting, there's no downside. You're never ever going to say, I wish I hadn't planned. I wish I hadn't taken that 30 minutes. Because if you have got going in with planning in a pitch about what you want to say, you can always flex, you can always leave bits out, you can always not use it. But actually the confidence of having those thoughts written down and pre-prepared, which makes a massive difference to how you've earned a seat at that table. Thanks for that, Bridget, that's great. I'm going to go and do that. It's, it's all about planning practice. Yeah, and, and actually, you know, you mentioned another thing. You mentioned advocacy, and mm. I love that. I love that. Um, I love, you know, using that third-party advocacy to speak for you, and then you can come in. So they give you almost, if you think about trying to merge onto a really busy motorway, can't can't get a word in, and you use an advocate, and it might be a male, yeah. initially, to help you get that entry to be able to say the things you want to be able to say. But again, when you get the opportunity, if you've planned then you deliver it on short, sharp statements. Yeah, yeah, all fantastic pieces of advice. I, um, I'm going to try the hand because I'm usually, no, I, I'm still speaking, but then, you know, that makes me look like a bit of a bitch, right, or a little <laughs> bit aggressive when I do that. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try the hand, and I'm not I'm not acknowledge and just keep talking. That's great. I'm gonna give or, I'm gonna or, take or that or a finger, but it's about being really clear that person. It's like it's almost like a you know you because if somebody interrupts you rudely, they're behaving like a child. So mm -hmm. I say, well, put your finger or your hand up, and you don't even have to make eye contact. You can make quick eye contact and then look back to your audience and keep talking. Yeah, no, that's great, and then. I think as well when somebody, because um, one thing that happens to a lot of women and to people of colour is you might say an idea a couple of times and it's like, it's like, it, it, can you guys hear me? Like, is my microphone working? Am I? Oh, yeah. And then, and then a man says it and it's the best idea ever. So instead of getting frustrated, I like to say that was a really good summary of the idea that I mentioned just before, thanks, and bring it back to myself and also take ownership of it. Absolutely. Well, you can say, look, great minds think alike because, you know, we've also, there's, there's, that happens all the time. Um, one of the things we do have to reflect is when you said it, did you say it with emphasis and did you say it with impact? Um, because sometimes it can get lost in the other things you're saying and, and somebody else, male or female, might come in and say it in a short, sharp, inside mm. statement and suddenly the penny drops so I think uh 100% don't let people get away with taking or scoring off your ideas remembering that you know 50 people can have the same idea in the same week doesn't it's mm -hmm. not in property but also have a quick reflection and say is there any way that I could have delivered that better and if the answer is no but I always think you know check that as well yep yeah yeah great Okay. And then the another thing I wanted to ask you about was around senior leaders, because I also have senior leaders um, who, you know, I'm working with and they're struggling, you know, they're sponsoring change programs or they're sponsoring transformation projects or, you know, they've, they've got, uh, yeah, they're leading big change. And again, they're in a competitive situation where they're, you know, usually their manager is um, the CEO or a very high up C-suite person. 
Uh, so all of their peers are senior managers and senior leaders. And so, you know, they're struggling to get their change heard and in particular to demonstrate return on investment and, you know, just reiterate that and this is why we're doing this change in a very, you know, I guess it's cost, you know, in an environment where people are constantly thinking about things like cost, FTE, ROI. So what advice do you have for senior leaders on how they can sell their sizzle and show value and demonstrate what they're doing to their C-suite leaders? Yeah, and, it, and it's a common problem because it's such a noisy space, you know, companies mm. trying to do a lot. And so that, that always makes it challenging. And depending on your program and how, um, how aligned that is to, you know, current revenue and cost targets, that also can bring in a challenge. So the first thing I would say is, as a senior leader and for any project or program of work, you, you must have unequivocal executive sponsorship. So, so that's, and that's what you talk about, how do you get that? But you have to start with that. You know, you can't, I've never seen a project succeed that hasn't had that. No, never. no, no sponsorship. Have, You're in a lot and, of trouble. <laughs> and unequivocal or, or unequivocal is important because they'll say they support it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but actually something else bright and shiny comes along and they're off. So, um, so, so it's having that. And, and the first, the second thing is communication again is everything here. So if you have not got real clarity on the problem you're trying to solve, then there's no way you're going to be able to convince anybody else uh, that you should be running with this. So uh, assuming that you that you have clearly identified the problem, it's about it is about storytelling there. So you know why is this really important for the business? So don't even go anywhere near the solution. I would say start with the problem that you're trying to, trying to solve. And it's almost like uh, one technique I've seen used very well is building a crisis, almost to a crisis. So you will build a compelling story, get and make sure the audience is with you. These are the issues we're facing. And you have to do that. So you almost, if you're imagining a page turning, you almost want them to get to an oh shit moment, we've got a real problem before you turn the page with, but boy, have I got a deal for you. Now, um, and, and then, and then all, of course, before you present any, the solution or what you're thinking about, be really clear that you've thought about the options, including the reality of doing nothing. So if the numbers aren't there and the ROI isn't there, the question really is, you know, what are you trying to achieve? And you still think it's compelling. Um, it's, it's really about making sure you've got that sponsorship, you can tell the story and you can deliver the change. Now, one of the big problems with these big transformation programs is the tail is long. Everyone's looking for the short-term benefits, but the tail is often long around that. So um, that's, again, where the, you know, hold the line, unequivocal sponsorship comes in, being clear about what people can expect in year one, year two, and year three. Um, but I think it's just, again, you know, um, I'm constantly reminded about the people that win are the ones that communicate the most effectively. Mm -hmm. um, but you know of course there's relationships and there's lots of other things but if you're just talking about how do I how do I sell the, the impact of what I'm trying to do here it's all about storytelling don't wing it plan prepare practice out loud in front of a mirror do whatever you've got to do to be prepared to have that conversation um, like you don't win that on personality usually really because okay mm -hmm. sometimes it seems like People do, but you're right. 
You're yeah. right. It's all about communication. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, one other thing while you were talking before I wanted to come back to because yeah. I thought, oh, that's a really interesting little comment you made. And then I came back to a different thing you said. But I want to come back to you talked about when women go into the boardroom, they go and sit down the back and, you know, look like they're going to be serving the morning tea. A piece of advice that I've got is do not, if you're a woman, don't actually do that sort of, um, un, you know, it's, oh, there's a word for it. It's low value and it's not career advancing work. So stuff like pouring glasses of water, making teas and coffees, uh, organising lunch, you know, organising morning teas, baking cupcakes, um, always being the one who unpacks the dishwasher in the lunchroom. There's a, I, so I have a policy of, yes, I will pitch in and help because I'm not a monster, <laughs> but I will unpack the dishwasher in the communal kitchen once a week. And once I've done it once, I will walk past it and ignore it because I'm not doing this every day. Um, because I feel like there's, whenever you go into a communal kitchen, it's constantly women cleaning up, tidying up and, you know, packing and unpacking. And I feel like women do a lot of this work that kind of, yes, it's very helpful. Um, and, you know, organizing Christmas parties and team dinners is great, but it doesn't get you promoted. No, that's hundred percent right. I'll share a little anecdote in my last corporate role when I was chief operating officer for one of the banks here, um there was um vendor clients and I was the only female in the room but I was hosting it was actually my meeting um and one of our guests spilled his glass of water every eye in the room turned to me and it wasn't a manager <gasps> and I just sort of I, I just said uh to one of my team I said hey John can you go and get a cloth and sort that out but it was not imagined so there is absolutely um it's almost inbuilt to expect that women will sort these things out um at the same comes to meeting rooms I used to um, I used a wee bit of sarcasm in my humor at work but I would say to people when meeting rooms left I'd say oh is your mum here today you know can you put your chairs away I mean you know leaving meeting room chairs and leaving meeting rooms in a mess and it's just like who do you think is going to clean up after you while I'm telling you that mm-hmm. it won't be so I don't know if I ever posted it but I definitely had a post about you know um you, you, you teach people how to treat you which is an old saying but you, yeah when you're leaning in and always taking the notes and grabbing the whiteboard pen you know and it's not about pulling you away or having the lolly jar on you know encouraging people to always come to you for the lollies in the chat it doesn't serve you in your no. career no if it does you're probably in the wrong career right you might want to go and look for something which is is all about that so I enjoy doing that well okay um maybe there's a different job for you which isn't this but if you're serious about career progression whether that's you know breadth or height or whatever it is because it's different don't don't do that yeah I think it's I think yeah you're right it's inbuilt for people to expect women to do that stuff but it's also inbuilt in us to think oh I better go tidy that up or you know particularly I think for women who are mums (laughs) as well but it's all yeah I think you've got to really avoid being anyone's mum using air quotes mum in the office mm-hmm. because yeah you and and another one is taking minutes and again we we're doing remote work so this doesn't hasn't cropped up as often but I'm a um I'm a note taker I like a pen and paper there's something about writing something down that put you know sears it into my brain and it, you know so I've always got pen and paper with me and I'll 
be in meetings and people will go, oh, it's a woman with a notepad. And they'll say, are you here to take minutes? And I say, I'm here to take uh, notes from a change management perspective. Uh, and that's what I'll be doing, but I will not be taking minutes. Because it's you go, oh, I'm just going to say yes, because I want to avoid conflict. Do not take minutes. But yeah, I think there are, there are time and place um, to, to take minutes. If you're the most junior person in the meeting, then sure, you're probably going to end up taking the minutes. That's fine. Um, but if you're one of the more senior people, then you shouldn't be doing it. Um, but yeah, I, I think when you're in your early career, that sort of stuff is okay because you want to be seen as a team player. Oh, you know, yeah. you want to, but when you become more senior, you've actually got to make a concerted effort um, to stop doing that. And I'm like you. I remember being in the kitchen at one of Australia's biggest companies <laughs> where I was working. I had been a permanent person, so this will give a clue. I'd been perm and gone away and I'd come back as a consultant. So, you know, I was costing that company a lot of money and I was doing my I will unpack the dishwasher once a week to contribute, but I will not be doing it every day. And I was in the kitchen and there was a group of three men chatting and I went to, you know, the dishwasher was full. There was dirty dishes in the sink. It was really disgusting. And they were like, oh, you're going to unpack that. And I said, no, I'm not. Is that something you three can do? Because you don't look very busy. And they all just stared. And I was like, bye. And I was like, oh, that felt so good. But yeah, I'm the same. It's like, it didn't occur to the three of you standing around having a chat that that might be your job. Um, anyway, I'll get off my high horse about that sort of oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is you know, I'm thinking oh, there's, there are things, there's, you know, you brought up so many memories of so many things that we could talk about it for ages, but it's, mm. def it's definitely a watch point. Um, it is definitely a watch point, particularly for women. Yeah, because you've got to focus on things that are going to get you promoted. And, yeah, organising the Christmas party might make people think you're really cool and you're nice but that's not going to get you your, your promotion. Um, another thing I wanted to come back to is the elevator pitch. Yeah. So you talked about doing an elevator pitch. So I was hoping, could you share, because I also wanted to ask you to tell the listeners about your coaching services and what you're up to. So could you perhaps give me an elevator pitch on Bridget Leishman coaching? Uh, absolutely. Um, absolutely, I can. I'm always a big fan. What's that expression about eating your own dog meat? So, <laughs> um, so here's something I prepared earlier. Um, and uh, I'm sure people would love to hear yours as well, Tash. <laughs> um, so for me, look, I'm a certified career coach. My clients range from people who want to grow their career, those who might be in a career crisis, or those who just lack clarity on what to do next. I coach executives, upcoming talent, and people who have been retrenched who might need to job, find a job quickly. My coaching comes from a business and from a life perspective rather than from an HR perspective. I've got lived experience having managed a successful executive career. I've raised five children. I've lived in three countries, and now I run my own business. I've led thousands of people and interviewed hundreds, if not thousands. So I know what good looks like, and I've personally experienced nearly every possible career situation and possibly crisis there is. I've made lots of mistakes, and I've learned from them. People will tell you that I'm curious, I'm pragmatic, and I'm not afraid to ask tough questions. So the value in coaching is in the independence. This is something you can't get from your boss or your partner or your close friends. I've got clients in seven countries. All my coaching is done remotely. I don't run courses or groups, and all the work is done one-on-one -on -one with me. Because I believe that as client, you're hero of your own story, and what my job is to support you to help achieve your goals. I offer a number of different coaching packages targeting specific needs, and these can be found on my website, which is leishmancoaching.com. Uh, so that's my pitch, and that's less than a minute, believe it or not. That was so, great. Yeah, so um, 
and I, I also wanted to say that um, if your listeners wanted to, there's a free resource under resources on my website. There's a free elevator pitch template that you can download and use. Wonderful. And I'll make sure there's a link to your website in the show notes. So it's very easy for people to click through. That was that was fantastic, but I would expect nothing less. <laughs> that was great. Should I have a go at mine? Mine is going to be uh, way less polished. <laughs> okay. So if I, should I do a pitch for myself as a change practitioner or myself as a, a consultant business owner? What would you like I, to hear? I think business owner would be great. Okay. Okay. All right. Let me have a think. <laughs> I don't have any notes. I'm going in cold. Okay. So I think so often businesses and people are expected to lead and deliver change without having the luxury of a specialized change resource and also without having training or specific skill development in change management themselves. So that's the whole reason uh, my business came about is because I was working in a lot of environments where people were in very senior project delivery or senior executive roles and expected to lead and manage change. And they didn't quite have the skills or know-how. As we know, lead and manage change, change resilience is in just about everybody's job description these days. So that's how my business started. So I'm really passionate about coaching and teaching people how to deliver change well. Uh, So I was doing that for a number of my clients and in permanent roles, and now I've made that my whole business. That wasn't very good. I wasn't happy with no, that. <laughs> good. But the thing is, right, um, you know, I always say, you know, write it down and mm. practice it so that it feels natural. But, you know, I think the, the for you, of course, you know, it's the value proposition, which to me is really clear, and I'm sure it is to you. So, you know, getting clarity by writing it down and, and thinking yeah. about yeah, that's going on on my Kanban. I do yeah. yep, work on the elevator pitch. I'm going to download your template. Awesome. Because I think I, I, oh, you go. No, I was just going to say, when uh, you know, when I'm working with clients, I always get them to have the first go at it, and then I'll work with them at it because of, you know one of the other um, skills that I have is that I'm a writer, so I can actually you know craft things and help them. But what I notice is the number of people that will write it down, they don't practice it, so they write it. And the sentence is so long that you've actually got to take a breath and have a glass of water halfway through the sentence. So really short, sharp sentences. And you can break grammar rules. You can start a sentence with and. You know, you can you can do what you like because you'll be actually speaking it. You're not posting it anywhere or, yeah. or emailing it, right? So I would say keep your sentences, you know, put a good old full stop in. And some of these, we, we're very, very good at super long sentences. Mm, mm. Yeah, no, I... That's excellent advice, as always. The elevator pitch is key. I know I've spoken my elevator pitch and because I've had it for a number of years. Because uh, when we caught up last time, you said, oh, tell me about your business. And you were like, yeah, that's not too bad. It's okay. Um, so, but I think further refinement, because I haven't actually done the task of writing it down and practicing it. So I think there's a lot yeah. of value in that. Um, so before we wrap up, is there anything else or any other way that the listeners can get more Bridget. I know you've got your amazing daily LinkedIn posts, so I do encourage everyone to give Bridget a follow because her posts are excellent, insightful, always interesting, and often prompt action from me as well. <laughs> There's particularly, yeah, well, this one, I went, I want to ask you to be a guest on the podcast to talk about Sell Your Sizzle. But the other one was, you know, a CV tip. And I thought, you know what, I really uh, have a lot of, 
I've made some faux pas on my CV and it needs a big refresh because I think you had said you've got to stop putting referees available on requests. And I was like, oh, my God, I still I have that on my CV. How embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, there's, it's daily tidbits of really actionable advice. And you've got your website, which I'll include in the show notes. Anything else you wanted to share with the listeners? Well, I mean, the other thing is so definitely, um, I'd, of course, love it if you gave me a follow. Um, hit the bell on the top right hand of my profile and you'll get the content. You, you won't miss any content. And um, my hashtag, Leishman Coaching. Um, if you follow that as well but um, you know I just the thing I say to people is you know um, LinkedIn is the most powerful business platform on the planet now yeah it is the that is the the front door to who you are and I just I literally shake my head at the lack of time people put into it it is as important as your resume Mm. 95% of recruiters will look at it before they even contact you and you are potentially missing out on so many things, so many opportunities because your LinkedIn profile's rubbish, you know, and it's dynamic. You can change it, you know, five times a week if you want. It's, mm. you know, and, and so I would say if you do nothing else, look at LinkedIn and look at the opportunities you've got there um, because the market is hot right now. There's lots of opportunities. And imagine what you could be missing if not just have it, you know, have a good photo, spend 200 bucks and get a professional photo taken somewhere you know or if you've got a good iphone just get one taken just don't use rubbishy photos yeah my linkedin photo is one that my friend and i were out in the city and i'd been to a job interview so i blow dried my hair and had nice makeup and was wearing (laughs) yeah had some nice lippy on uh this is pre-wearing masks so (laughs) wasn't all over my face uh but yeah like uh i was talking about yeah i need a new linkedin photo and she goes oh here's a nice green background like stand in front of this and you know we did a little photo shoot in the middle of the CBD because I was looking business-like and professional and I do need an update. But I think, yeah, the the you as a bridesmaid or groomsman at a wedding or, you know, with a drink in your hand, um, those sorts of pictures have got to go. Yeah, or even mountaineering, which is, you know, might be fine if that's what you do for a job, but I just always struggle a bit with the context. Um, you did remind me of one other thing on confidence boosting is like, you know, get your hair done or do whatever it does that makes you feel or your nails or whatever it is for you personally that makes you feel good before you go into any important things if you can whatever's Mm. available for you because it gives you an incredible boost if you're feeling good about yourself absolutely yeah you reminded me of that but with the photo comment yeah no I think you're right and yeah it's like if you've got an important presentation an important speaking gig or something that you know you it's a really big deal for you and you you're quite nervous about like yeah, pull out all the stops to make sure that you look and feel fabulous Yeah, uh, before you do that, especially with your LinkedIn photo as well. You know, you don't have to hire a professional photographer and, and do all of those things, but you could go and get your makeup done. That's what you wanted. Could go yeah. and get your hair done for it um, or not. Um, no, and I agree, like LinkedIn has been such a powerful tool for growing my network, for finding, you know, people to listen to the podcast and also um, – you know, finding clients. And I've had so many people contact me and I've had a lot of, you know, especially when you're a contractor or a freelancer, um, so many people, and so I've gotten so many jobs just by people sending me messages on LinkedIn. Uh, because oh, I, I, Absolutely. Yeah, because they Google senior change manager Salesforce and see who comes up. And you even did a post the other day where you said people with over 500 connections rank higher on LinkedIn searches, which I didn't yeah. know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, um, there is. A, it's funny. It's sort of like the the the, mis- the worst mistakes are the ones that we don't know we're making. Mm. Right? I mean, 
it's 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 one of those things where you go um you know i, I get 80 percent of my clients through directly through linkedin um yep. 20 percent of referrals um i don't know whether that mix will change over time but it is just such a powerful tool we shouldn't ignore yeah well my first client actually before i officially started having a crack at my own business was through LinkedIn and it was somebody that I'd worked with before a very long time ago. Uh, and it was somebody that never really posted much on LinkedIn. Um, so I guess they were a lurker. Uh, they didn't really like my posts or maybe they did sometimes or engage with them. Uh, but that person that I worked with a really, really long time ago is now in a very senior role for a global technology company. And they sent me a message one day and said, hey, I've seen, because I was doing public um, workshops around change management. And they messaged and said, oh, look, we've actually got a desperate need um, for, you know, change management. We've got a big skill gap. Um, do you think, do you do these workshops for companies? And I was like, yeah, yes, I do. Uh, and then we had a chat and it was really good to catch up. And he said, oh, I've been seeing you posting constantly and it's taken me about three months to actually finally email you and, and you know, get off my ass and get this done. And that was a huge business lesson for me because I went, okay, you do have to post about things consistently because you can't just post about it once and go, oh, yeah, come to my workshop and assume that everyone who might want to come to the workshop has seen it. It does take, you've got to keep telling people about it to remind them so yeah that was my first client was just from LinkedIn but it was someone I'd worked with before yeah and also remind remembering that um you know you might think you're repeating yourself but it hasn't come up on someone's feed so Correct. I can repurpose a post and have people go oh wow that's insightful when I'm thinking you know so you should never assume so repetition is really really important as well yeah, and I often come back to things that I posted, you know, a year ago or two years ago because there might be something that's happened in the news that I think is applicable to a podcast episode I did in 2020. So I'll go, this is something that's now everyone's talking about and maybe you want to listen to my podcast episode on it because you get a lot of new followers and it's like, well, they haven't heard me talk about, you know, whether or not you should be a contractor or, you know, how to do a good interview. So, yeah, reminding people and going, hey, I've actually got this um, helps kind of push that along because you're right, the algorithm's so weird. Sometimes I, you know, I see your posts every day because I obviously engage with them a lot, but there are some people who, you know, I never see their stuff and then they tell me about it. I'm like, I didn't see that. Or sometimes you see somebody's thing and it's a week old or, yeah, it doesn't pop up in someone's feed at all. Yeah. So the algorithm and you can't be a slave to it because you know so no. I post five days a week and you know you never know which posts are going to be the ones so I just think it's about showing up because you know a post with you know 20 likes may get you two new clients and a post that's had 35,000 views um, gets you a lot of love but no clients so you know correct uh, some of those posts for me get you know a few like trolls and you know requests for my time for free and IP but yeah a lot of those smaller posts which is a whole other conversation but a lot of those smaller posts definitely um but consistency is key um yeah. I'll leave it there but I wanted to say thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast and sharing all of that fantastic advice and knowledge it's been an absolute pleasure and for the listeners we will be back soon with a new episode of Casa de Cambio thank you Bridget thank you so much